Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to You're On Mute, a new podcast series conceived by BVI, the UK's first black business institute, an organization which aims to boost prospects for underprivileged black entrepreneurs by promoting equivalent access to the UK's funding structures and essential business networks. I'm your host, Lord Michael Hastings, and over the next 12 weeks, myself and my fellow hosts, June Sarpong and Bianca Miller-Cole, We'll be interviewing an incredible lineup of leaders, icons, and changemakers to ascertain how they balance the importance of commercial performance versus societal impact. COVID-19 and the killing of George Floyd have emphasized society's race, class, and social quality fault lines. And we'll all be touching on those issues over the course of the series. And we all know with great power comes huge responsibility. And this series looks and how those in positions of influence can use their status as a force for good. Our time together is broken down into three sections, with the guests sharing their favorite piece of music or soundtrack, representing a memorable stage of their life. And joining me today is Vinod Kumar, the chief executive of Vodafone Business, the largest section of Vodafone with a turnover of 12 billion pounds to discuss digital transformation, democratizer, or a new weapon of oppression. Welcome, Vinod. Thank you, Lord Hastings. Great to be here. So, Vinod, tell me a little bit about your first track from Doors, Don't You Love Her Madly? Why did <laughs> you love that madly? Well, I, there was a phase um, in my life, I guess, I was listening to all kinds of music, and I liked the fact, the, the way the Doors as a band came together. Uh, Jim Morrison was somewhere between a poet and a lunatic, uh, but he was a great uh, vocalist and a great singer. And then Raymond Zarek on the keyboards and the rest of the band were really, um, you know, they had equal elements of soulfulness, poetry as, uh, and a little bit of edge to it also. I think at that stage uh, in my late teens, I used to listen to a lot of The Doors. And, uh, uh, but also, you know, listen to, you know, growing up in India at that time, access to music was quite limited. So, um, you know, Boney M in the early days of this school, things that probably close my eyes now when I say it, but I've been through it all. How did you, in those days, listen to the music? How, I mean, practically, how did you listen to it? Yeah, believe it or not, Mike, I have uh, many cousins who lived in the US and I grew up in India and didn't leave India till I was in my 20s, early 20s to study in the US. But um, between my cousins overseas and my dad when he traveled, they used to bring the cassette tapes over um, and all of us would huddle around a mini tape recorder, put a cassette tape in and pretend we were in New York listening to WPIX FM New York City, New York and transport ourselves there as kids, um, you know, exploring the world through those uh, small TDK tapes that we used to make then. Wow, goodness me, that takes us all back, doesn't it? Indeed. I mean, now, and you were born in India, which means that you obviously have to be a cricket fan. Uh, I am a cricket fan, uh, but now I, my interest in cricket has faded, except when uh, India plays a few countries, including England and Pakistan. 
Do you always take the Indian side? Oh, of course. <laughs> you can't you can't take that out of me. Uh, but you developed a different sporting interest when you were young as well, didn't you? Yeah, I played uh, uh, many different sports, but uh, in my well, I won't say when I was young, but now my passion is uh, horses and playing uh, polo, which uh, I really enjoy because of the competitive nature of the sport, and uh, I, uh, you know, enjoy the activities behind the scene, um, which is really involves the animal and uh, connecting with the animal is fantastic. Now, you tell us a little bit about about the, the kind of atmosphere of thinking that you grew up in. You you had a tremendous relationship with your dad you really deeply respected him and you traveled an awful lot but you also were very captivated by big philosophers and thinkers yeah so my my dad has uh, and and my mother have had a great influence uh, on my life and my thinking and i attribute everything that i do now to the values they taught me then and the mindset i i observed them uh, uh, practicing um if my father it was more about uh, creative thinking being you know very open to new ideas and not judging any situation or anyone uh, based on where they came from um and have and maintaining a wide aperture ready to absorb different influences um which he brought back home from his various travels and opening his bags when he came back was a great treat for me because not because he brought a lot of gifts back but he would bring really strange things back he would you know see a spoon somewhere that he thought was made out of a material that could be used in in his business which was auto electricals or he would you know once a, he brought 20 pictures of a toilet bowl uh, and he kept pressing the flush and seeing how the water went because he had some crazy idea about what he could do with that for a centrifugal pump so you know and he would sit and take the effort to explain these things to a kid who was five six years old and then even later we used to think he was pretty loony at that time but as 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 we grew uh grew up and especially now i i really value subtly how he was um asking us uh, and showing that you could find inspiration anywhere from anything my mother on the other hand you know had a, a heart which was as big as any human can possibly have in terms of giving and and always uh, supporting the uh, underdog in any situation sometimes to a fault um and and that that taught me a lot about the power of giving and how when you give you know without asking it comes back in in other ways and she had a specific focus on on blind people yeah she had this size has never got to the bottom of it but she had this uh, obsession with helping blind people all across the city we would always uh, at our home would uh, have uh, blind people staying with us that she would pick up from the streets until she could rehabilitate them they were living with us and so we had some crazy times but um you now she was very noble in her pursuit for helping people especially the blind she still do you, think, do you think your father's immense curiosity was critical to how you've been able to develop in business I you know I didn't think about it Lord Hastings for the longest time but you know now after having worked for 30 years and working with different people and I tend to approach things with always um a very open mind uh, I I all never see the challenge part I see the opportunity part of situations and then when I look back at where it came from I now I'm more than convinced that it came from the early days of um influence my father had on me i haven't lived at home and had his direct influence for since my late teens he's always stretching my thinking and asking me to 
look at things very differently. Mm. That's a very powerful directive that came into your life at an early age. And I feel very blessed. Yes, and you you were you were going to you were going to take a career in marketing, but you you took a interesting left or right turn. Uh, selling, uh, sharing this with uh, your colleague Darren that uh, I uh, studied engineering, but there was too much math in engineering, and I wanted to do anything but engineering, and uh, um, decided to pursue. Uh, at least my intention was to pursue a career in marketing in uh, FMCG uh, and uh, was looking at firms like uh, uh, RGR Nabisco, if you remember, and Philip Morris and, and so on, uh, when they were diversifying you know, into foods and drinks and so on. Um, but um, you know, strange turn of events, I got thrown right back into technology and started in the telecommunications industry in, in the US. So you, you, lots of your life has been about just taking the best possible next opportunity because you've had the skills to be able to, to do that. Yeah, I, you know, I have a tough time when uh, youngsters ask me to uh, script their career for them or tell them what is the best thing to do because, frankly, especially in my early years, I pretty much did you know what my bosses asked me to do, uh, and you know there was just a pattern of doing very different things and being thrown into multiple pools of very deep water that after you learn to swim in them, that becomes a skill in itself. And I kept being given all the problem areas. Uh, and once you do that in five, six areas, I was quite well suited to be a general manager. So it's not for everyone, but again, I, I feel extremely fortunate and blessed that I had the you know, series of doors that opened to me without much planning. I did work hard and I did apply myself very diligently to each opportunity, um, but um, that that stood me in in uh, in good stead. And I always uh, sh share with young people these days that don't don't overplan your career because you know having some flexibility, especially in today's world, where you know plural careers, having different paths to get to the same destination, um, are much more feasible than when I started 30 years ago. And now take us on to your onto your second track, a great legend. Uh, this is Felakuti. Lady, can you can you remember the track? I remember the track more, the tune of it. But you know, I I, I um, um, started listening to a lot of blues. Um, you know, started off with Mississippi blues, and then I went on to jazz, and then I discovered um, you know African jazz and Afrobeat, and, and I still find it absolutely fascinating, and and I love them. The soulness of it, I like the I like the fact that it can be melancholic on you know uh, the beginning of a track and then get into a really um, upbeat uh, tempo and then you know ease back in um, and you know both Miles Davis and um, Fela Kuti and Hugh Mascala and all these uh, you know unbelievable musicians um, uh, you know created music that captured the the the. the you know, it, it, it was borderless, but it also had a very deep mm. uh, grounding and, and had the African root. And I like that, right? That you don't forget who you are. You remain authentic, but you express yourself. You express yourself with whatever colors are available to you, but never forgetting or never letting anybody forget around you where you come from. And, and I think that's, the, uh, th that's why that music appealed to me then and, and even so now. And the fact that there's a little bit of lack of structure to it and improv, uh, also matches my personality in a way. 
you said never forget where you've come from and you you had some fantastic business time at Tata which is a remarkable company just tell us a bit about that yeah so the 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 Tata group where I worked for 15 years um is a great organization uh, and and for me um you know the company was founded nearly 125 years ago by and and what the early founders JRD Tata uh, sorry J JN Tata um had um you know, thought as how a business should be run, you know, are so contemporary and and even progressive, even today, that it, you know, it was fascinating to be in an organization that still lived by the values of the founder um, and that believed that not-for-profit business, you know, for-profit business could still, you know, uh, be, you know, uh, could exist with being deeply concerned and passionate and effective in the society that a business's purpose was primarily to serve the communities it operated in, to drive diversity and inclusion, um, you know, um, multi-faith support, inclusion of women in the workplace. You're talking, you know, 125 years ago. The things that we think are fashionable now, this man, you know, conceived and, and, and implemented. Um, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. He, you know, when um, those days um, he was told that India couldn't produce steel, um, he, he did go and produce steel, and there's an interesting story about that. When um, when they said you couldn't have air conditioning in a hotel, he found a way to, you know, build the first air conditioned hotel in all, all of Asia, and so on and so forth. And and just but never forgetting that you know business can make profit and contribute it to society. And and also I think the lesson for many businesses today is that you you know if you do that consistently for a long period of time. Your brand has such strength that it has loyalty. You can actually command a premium for your services, but you never always need to keep giving back. And uh, the premium. So I learned, learned a lot from that. And I have to say, bridging over to Vodafone a little bit, I was very pleasantly surprised when I joined Vodafone and I found purpose so embedded in our way of uh, uh, working. Um, and I would say at a grassroots level, it may be even more than uh, in, 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 in Tata, uh, and this is not slogans, it's not 125 year history, it's not a founder, but somehow we've got that in our in our heartbeat. And how do you, how do you feel that that is best expressed in Vodafone? Well, one, one is, you know, Vodafone has very clear purpose agenda. So we're concerned about digitizing society. We're concerned deeply about inclusiveness, which we'll talk about more. And we're concerned about sustainability and the planet. The other bookend is that we are, operationally intense as a company. We measure everything, we track everything almost for a fault that even on these topics, we don't just treat it like uh, a program that you know uh, the, the CEO speaks about, the chairman makes a statement. We take the program, we set targets, we operationalize it, we drive it down to every manager. And, 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 and Nick Reed, our C, group CEO, you know, I really like his approach. He, he doesn't want the big flamboyant statements. He wants substance behind every statement that we make and we will not make a statement externally till we have data to back it and we have plans and intent, intention to, uh, to solve it. So th that's how it gets uh, operationalized and then everybody lives it. And then, then other elements of our culture allow and encourage people to speak up, to challenge us ourselves, challenge each other to say, why are we doing this when it's against our purpose? Or does this meet our purpose before we embark on something? And I find that very motivating and, 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 and 
also when done correctly, it's a source of great um, appeal for bringing talent, retaining talent and so on. And you have, you're probably the most senior person of color in Vodafone in the United Kingdom, uh, in the international headquarters, and, and you have responsibility for leading the inclusion agenda as well. That's right, yes. Um, I'm, I'm the executive, executive sponsor for global race and uh, ethnicity, and um, it's something I've, I'm very passionate about. Um, and I have the privilege, honestly, that the company has given me to shape that agenda along with my colleagues in HR, uh, to evangelize it, to be the advocate, to be the ombudsman, as well as you know, um, uh, liaise with external parties to learn and to influence uh, our customers and the communities around us. And I mean, racism is something that is very much in the air, uh, not just at the moment, but pretty consistently. When you come out, what you want to achieve in Vodafone, do, do you have a personal experience or experiences of racism that really drive you? You know, um, I, I've said this before. I've been quite fortunate that I've had only few incidents of um, being targeted because of my uh, of my race. Um, and those have stung quite uh, hard. They pay comparison what I've heard uh, from all my friends and colleagues over the years. Um, you know, I started my career in the US, I was in Washington DC and even just seeing the physics at those days now, you know, the city's layout had uh, changed, but seeing the lines drawn geographically in the city that really separated black from white, rich from poor, Hispanics from others. I didn't understand it because, you know, uh, coming from India and especially the way I grew up, I saw it all mixed up, right? And, and, and also with my home environment, uh, I was given no choice even as a kid to think about these issues. For me, people were people and it didn't matter what economic strata they came from and uh, religion, it, it was, so it was, uh, it has always bothered me that, you know, we human beings can stoop to a point when we, we um, judge people based on where they come from, how they speak, um, the color of their skin, uh, and and so on. And and so it and 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 have given this you know opportunity at Vodafone to be the sponsor. I, I didn't need any selling. I jumped at it um, immediately. Your third piece of music is from Will I Am, and it's Mama <laughs> Cheetah. Well, tell us about. No, Mama. actually, you know, Mama Cheetah. Or I, I like Will I Am from. Um, um, from the Black Eyed Peas days, I've seen him perform uh, live in concerts a few times. Um, but I also had the opportunity to meet Will I Am and spend a whole day with him here um, uh, in in the UK about a few years ago. And I, you know, I was fascinated by you know his personality, his energy, and his entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, and this man knows more about technology than I know for sure. Right. And his passion to take um, digital skills and digital literacy to kids in uh, impoverished neighborhoods into black kids who don't have exposure to um, these technologies, you know, funding for startups. He was doing so many things. And then, you know, and the willingness to take risk. Uh, and then somebody in the audience asked him a question about how he was betting so much on all these initiatives and if he was scared that he would lose it all. And I remember him, he started laughing and he said, I managed to, managed to get out of there once. I know if I find myself there again, I can get out again, right? So that was, and um, I was just blown away. And obviously he's a great musician and the Black Eyed Peas and then on his own, he produces more music. But now, you know, it's also, um, 
it's his music my 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 really young daughter has found it and my two and a half year old son also enjoys mama sita so i'm uh, will i am's music is thrust on me by my kids now but i do <laughs> enjoyed myself as well so uh, will i am is a great example of a of a successful black business yeah. mm -hmm. musician and entrepreneur and he's been able to combine all of those strengths to great effectiveness and one of the reasons we're having these conversations is we're all still stung by the killing of george floyd and what that represented do, do you remember where you were at the time and when it happened and how did you hear about it how did you feel about it well, I, I um, heard about it. I was in the UK and I heard it um, on social media immediately. And um, and I saw the, um, you know, the video before it went or as it was going viral. And my first reaction was, I cannot believe this is happening. Right. So I, I literally had to see the video a few times to just get my head around that something like this was even possible in this day and age. Um, and the heartlessness of it um, and and you know, you just see humanity being drained out of um, uh, of of this of the screen in the in this case, and those kind of things, you know, uh, leave a very uh, stinging impression uh, with me. And uh, not just there's a few other things that I've seen when people are really violent towards each other. I cannot get my head around it. And then when there are pleas for help and you still refuse to hear it, where's the heartlessness? You know where does it come from um, is something that till today I can't answer, but it also made me determined that we have to confront it. We have to do what we can to change it, to raise the awareness, to not stop talking about it till uh, and uh, till the, till it gets better. And it and it it won't be a magic solution, and it won't just you know you know you can't turn on a switch and it'll all become the way you and I want it. But we have a responsibility. In the positions we have to be vocal to and do our bit to raise the awareness and be relentless when you think about what happened in the us and, and obviously there were many other incidences before that one and there have been some since that one um i mean it compares significantly to in the uk we have the concept of institutional racism built into law and we generally don't have a gun carrying culture generally yeah. of course there are exceptions but in the US, it's a gun-carrying culture. There, there isn't a there isn't a national consensus on on racism at all, or even on police order. When you look at it from a, a businessman's perspective, how do, how do you think? Is there one? Are there a couple of things you think? Ah, I, I wish I could fix that. Well, in the US, for many other reasons, I think the gun-carrying culture has um, um, you know I, I can't think of anything positive associated with it, but that that, that is one. But from a business standpoint, I, I really feel we need to tackle this at its root. Um, you know, um, in, inequality is really complex and it's present. We can't avoid it. It's present at the societal level, a sectoral level, at the organizational level. Um, we need to deal with it at its source. Uh, I think diversity, addressing diversity is very important. But for me, I always say we first start with social justice, right? We need to pause and think, why should someone who is made of flesh, bones, blood, nerves, and everything, you know, other than this, the color of your skin, the, tech, the, the chemical composition of the skin is largely the same. Why should that be so, you know, why are we so focused on that? Why are we focused on appearances? 
And, you know, and I always, you know, even when we're dealing with the gender issue, I used to say, does anybody have a, you know, a, a daughter? Does anyone have a sister? And then, you know, the hands would go up in the room and there'd still be a few hands left. And said, so, does anybody have a mother, right? Which everyone has to raise. And then would you want someone that you know be treated this way, right? Either now or in the future, make it personal, right? And say, what if this happened to you or your friends or your colleagues, would you, would you stand up for it? So I, I think it's always important for us to go back to, you know, looking at us as all citizens of the world, God's children, whatever you believe in, I don't care, and say, is this, is this fair? So, you know, that's one. From a business standpoint, I, I believe inclusive, inclusiveness uh, and diversity is a strength, right? It is, therefore, I say, don't tolerate it, don't harmonize it, seek it, build it, cultivate it, right? And, and, and don't sort of do the superficial and easy things, um, and, and and you see many and you see many societies which are tolerant, but don't harmonize. Societies that are harmonize that harmonize uh, cultures, but don't actually proactively seek it and and enable it. And I think you know what we all should be striving for is seeking, valuing, appreciating, and building diversity into our organizations, whatever those organizations may be. Hmm. I understand that you you have a particular like of Japanese culture. Uh, as well. What did you observe of Japanese culture that, that you find very attractive? Well, I, uh, I had exposure to Japanese culture from a very young age through my father. Um, and then I had the opportunity to do business with Japan for a long time and then lived there for six years. Um, there are a few things that really appeal to me. One is their respect for um, uh, nature and, and respect for the environment. The environment can be the environment of people around you, the environment can be the city you live in, the environment can be the planet. And to know that we have a place to play and when we create dissonance in that, in, in that environment, it, it, it has a ripple effect and it spreads out. Uh, and therefore be conscious of your personal conduct and enable you know, tranquility, peace, progress, rather than be the, the noisy person in the system, right? While having said that, there's great creativity that's come out of Japan and great breakthroughs and so on. It doesn't mean you can't be yourself. It means respect the environment, the wow, the harmony that is at the core of Japanese culture. Uh, I like the precision and the elegance of a lot of the things they do, mm -hmm. uh, the attention to design. And it's not designed just for beauty's sake. It's designed for continuity. It's designed for, um, for adaptability. It's designed for functionality. Um, and, 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 you know, I can go on and on. This would become a discussion on Japanese culture, but I, I, I find it fascinating. And, and uh, I learned the Japanese language when I was there, which helped a lot to understand the nuances of the culture um, and, and really to get beyond some of the differences which are on the surface that can sort of leave you either confused or <laughs> make you step back. But um, in my case, the language, learning the language helped me appreciate them. It, what it also taught me was um, when I went to Japan, I think I was in my early 30s, and um, it, it, I was told that, you know, being a young Indian person going to, uh, to Japan uh, is going to be very difficult to do business. If anything, my experience was the opposite. I had, I was taken under the, the wings of some very, uh, experienced and kind uh, Japanese people who helped me uh, na navigate the system. But it, what it showed for me is if you show respect for culture, if you make an effort to meet people halfway through, it doesn't matter where you come from, 
you know, most people, right? There are always exceptions and, and, and some jarring exceptions, but most people will work with you and uh, you can forge good relationships. You mentioned that quite specifically how both creative, artistic, culturally strong values-based, but also technologically smart Japan is, and India has become absolutely likewise, and technology is now surrounding us all, if not in all of our hands, if in all of our pockets. How do you see the positive gains of technology stepping forward and knowing some of the downsides? What's the role of places like Vodafone to mitigate against the downsides? Yeah, so technology clearly is um, very powerful as in the look at the lives that we're leading, how we can stay connected um, and, and the level of uh, um, insights we can have on various topics, the ability to span time, uh, time uh, zones, to, span, uh, to traverse across gaps of uh, uh, language and culture and so on. Technology is really incredible. Um, and, and, and things like artificial intelligence and advanced robotics and 3D printing and so on and so forth are all fantastic. Uh, however, we need to keep in mind that end, end of the day, there are humans that use the technology. And I think the co technology companies need to make sure that the design stage itself, the technology factors in um, human condition, uh, that, that there are digital divides in society that you know, if used um, in, the, in, in, the, in an incorrect way, AI, for example, could actually increase uh, the, the, the diversity uh, issue and, and magnify and make it a lot worse. There are solutions for each of these and these solutions actually lie in the hands of um, man, right? And, and being thoughtful about how technology should be used is what I would advocate. It's not about holding technology back, right? In fact, I think it's a fool's effort to try and do that, but it's to let it go, but to, but, and to evolve with it, to be make, making sure that you think of the what ifs, you think about, uh, you know, is it for everyone? And to have, you know, th those, there are five or six questions you need to ask when you're building an AI algorithm, for example. Let's all live by it, let them, let, let's practice it. Let's not just leave it for regulators to make it a condition. It should be how, we as technology companies act responsibility by thinking. We have the smarts, so there's no excuse. It's not that we don't know um, to think upfront and not let it just take its own course. So Vinod, you said that you're very committed to the vision of being inclusive and diverse, and you've agreed that you want to sign up to the BBI Charter. Just, just tell us what that will mean for you. And how will you monitor progress? So we, firstly, it fits really well with what we're doing at Vodafone. We have a, a, a multifaceted program to drive uh, and improve our standing on diversity and, and inclusion. Part of that is engaging with customers in the community and to support others in this, um, in this um, um, uh, crusade, if I can call it that. Um, but, and, and, and the charter, the BBI charter aligns really well with what we want to do. It's about, um, how we recruit, how we drive, uh, drive awareness internally. It's about setting, uh, collecting data and working towards uh, ambitious targets. It is about allyship. It's about driving our supply chain and our ecosystem to, uh, to promote diversity in their areas of business. Uh, so the charter captures all of that really well and therefore we're very pleased to be part of it and to be a, a, an early signing. Thank you. And, and just as we think forward, thinking about every one of the contributors in this series, we're asking them all to share their vision and to set out an achievable 
achievable pledge, what would yours be? So in my, my case, my personal pledge is to continuously educate myself on this topic. And I, honestly, it's a learning journey for me as well. I feel it, but you know how to enact change and how to drive change is something that I'm passionate to learn more about. Um, I'm also pledging that I'll make myself available to mentor and advise people and share my experiences, um, both you know lessons, I learned many mistakes that I've made um, and, and to be very open and, and share those uh, with, with others. And then to lead the charge uh, to lead in, um, of inclusion at Vodafone. Uh, and um, through that also the broader sector. Well, thank you so much, Vinod, for everything you've shared with us. You've had a fascinating life and remarkable relationships and great sense of future aspiration. You're, you're transforming a business because of who you are, not just because of the role and responsibility that you're given. And thank you for sharing your time with us. It's, it's all we've had time for today, but please join us next time on the BBI's You're On Mute, where we hear from another icon, a business leader or a famous personality. Until then, please subscribe, review, leave your feedback wherever you get your podcast from. If you're a leader and would like to share your journey and your opinion on business, social justice and a fair society, please contact us at podcast at blackbusinessinstitute.com. Until next time, goodbye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.